0: Good evening, guys, and welcome to another Bible study here at Calvary Chapel Birmingham. Tonight, we're going to be, uh, surprise, surprise, continuing through John chapter 8, and Lord willing, we're going to be covering verses 41 to 50. But before we get going, let's just have a word of prayer, and obviously specifically praying at this point for what's happening uh, in the Ukraine there. Uh, Lord, we just pray uh, tonight, Lord, that you would be with us. We thank you, Lord, that as we come, Uh, And as many of us come, Lord, with heavy hearts of what is happening in the world, Lord, that we would remember Ukraine, we would remember the people of Ukraine, and we pray, Lord, for your intervention in that war. We pray, Lord, that there would be peace, and we pray, Lord, that you would come and show your presence to believers and indeed people who don't yet believe in you, Lord, in Ukraine, and that you would shelter them. Father, we pray for the church in Ukraine, we pray that you would be with them. We pray that you would strengthen them. We pray, Lord, that they would be a shining light of Christ in the midst of darkness. And Father, we pray for ourselves, Lord, tonight. As we come to your word, Lord, help us to uh, lay aside any burdens that we have. Help us, Lord, to remember you. Help us, Lord, to remember who you are and what you have done. And Father, I pray the Holy Spirit tonight would give us peace in our hearts as we study your word. That, Lord, he would indeed bring us to the point of conviction if we need to be convicted and encourage us if we need to be encouraged. And help us, Lord Jesus, to have hearts that are open and that are ready to receive. And help me, Lord, to speak your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 8, verses 41 to 50, says the following. No. You are imitating your real father. This is Jesus speaking. And the Pharisees said, they replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honour my father and you dishonour me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge and we thank the Lord for his word this evening. As we've been covering John chapter 8 now for a number of weeks, we've seen a number of things which are important and I make no apology for starting every week with a recap because context is really important when you're studying the Bible and you need to know the context of the passage before we can go flying through on a mission to see what the rest of the passage says because the, the verses that we're looking at this evening are in the context of the previous verses of John chapter 8 and indeed in the wider context of the entire book of John. John is teaching us in John chapter 8 what Jesus said to the Pharisees, how Jesus responded to the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and their disbelief in him and of course through a variety of setups and circumstances with the adulterous And then the temple when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then through a variety of discussions between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus is showing the Pharisees and indeed showing the world that he is God, that he is the I am of Exodus, that he is the light of the world. That if we believe in him, we are cleansed of our sin and that we no longer need to worry about our sin and the bondage that we face to sin because Christ has set us Free. And of course, in the, in the last few weeks, we've also seen that Jesus was teaching a group of Jews in the crown, the temple at the time where he was teaching that when they believed in him, they needed then to abide in him. It wasn't just a matter of believing, which, of course, we need to do for eternal life. But to be disciples of Jesus, we need to we need to abide. We need to abide in the vine, which is Christ Jesus we need to abide in him and wait on him and read his word and be filled with the spirit and allow him to do a work in us. And it's in that context, of course, that last week we looked at Jesus' discussion with the Pharisees and the Pharisees' obsession with being the descendants of Abraham. And then Jesus' response to this this obsession, saying it isn't enough to just be a physical descendant of Abraham, But actually, it's all about being a child of Abraham, a child of faith, because it is by faith we are saved. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works that no man may boast, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We need to be a child of faith, a child of faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, the Pharisees didn't like this one bit. And it's in this context that we just continue through John chapter eight. So verses 41 and 42. No, you are imitating your real father, they replied. We aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Earlier in the chapter in John 8, 15 to 18, Jesus has explained to the Pharisees something really important. This passage says, You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness and my father who sent me is the other. You see, the Pharisees were not believing Jesus' witness, but they were not believing the Father's witness also. The very witness they claim to believe in throughout this entire chapter. What is Jesus saying here in verses 41 and 42 and indeed in John chapter 8? Well, first of all, it's interesting that the Pharisees suggested that Jesus' father was the devil. And this also is confirmed by the similar accusations that are made in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, when the Pharisees say that Jesus' supernatural acts, the the miracles that he has performed, are done in the power of the devil rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. And we covered this a few weeks ago. We covered the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What that means and what we determined it means in those studies was that the sin of um, that generation only, where you could look at Jesus in the eye, eye to eye, and you could say, what you're doing is of the devil because then they would be attributing the work of god to the work of the devil mark 3 28 to 30 i tell you the truth all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven but anyone who blasphemes the holy spirit will never be forgiven this is a sin with eternal consequences he told them this because you they because um, he told them this because they were saying sorry he's possessed by an evil spirit we we determined didn't we that The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was ultimately something that could only be committed in that generation. But the only unforgivable sin at this point in in time, right now, is not believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. So first of all, we see this accusation that the Pharisees are making comes from previous accusations that they made earlier on in Jesus' ministry. Secondly, we see the Pharisees were spiritually deceived. They genuinely believed that God himself was their father, and they were put out that Jesus was saying otherwise. You see, the Pharisees believed the right things about God. They said the right things about God in many respects. They taught the law of God in the synagogues, and indeed, they believed more orthodox teaching than the Sadducees because they believed in the resurrection. But the Pharisees' approach to God was through ultimately. Their good works, their heart posture was one of I need to work for God's acceptance, not I come to God as a sinner and I need God to do a work in my heart. You see, the definition of Pharisaism ultimately is I can do something to please God. I can work my way into a position where God will look upon me favourably. In the light and despite my sin. You see, the the scales are always going to be tipping one way. It's always going to be tipping guilty. There's no such thing as doing good works to cancel out the debt of sin. God is perfect. God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And we must have our sin dealt with if we're to come to God and have a relationship with him. And that's why Jesus Christ died for us to deal with that sin. To indeed remove the sin on the scales so that suddenly the Christ's righteousness is the only thing found in our account. You see, if you believe you can make yourself right tonight by doing good works, by being charitable, and you believe that's enough when you approach the Lord Jesus Christ, when you approach God, that's Pharisaism. But the thing is, Pharisaism is also present in the church today, because although you've been saved by faith, you may think that you're going to grow up in the faith because of your good works and good works are good. That's why they call good works. But they need to be done from an abiding relationship in Jesus. It needs to not be your effort that produces fruit, but abiding in Christ. It is the abiding in Christ and letting the Holy Spirit work in your life that leads you to be fruitful. You don't need to live a life as a Christian, as a born again believer in Jesus, with a series of tick boxes that you must tick every day in order to please God. God is pleased with you because you're his child. You were made in the image of God and you are his child tonight if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all for you. He did everything that was ever required to pay your uh, sin debt. So instead of coming to Jesus and coming to the Father's night with a tick box mentality, I've got to do my Bible reading, I've got to pray, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Why don't you come to Jesus Christ tonight and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you that you were gracious enough to die for me and you took my pun- punishment and my penalty for me and thank you Lord and I want to serve you and I want to glorify you and I want to pray and I want to read my words because I want to get to know you more and I want to grow in my relationship with you you see we need to live in an abiding and dependent relationship in Jesus Christ not a superficial tick box exercise relationship the Galatian church made this mistake. Galatians 3, 1 to 3. Paul speaking here. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you is crucified. This only I want you to learn. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith or of the faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect? By the flesh. Christ saved you to live an abundant life in him. He saved you so that you may abide in him. And so that you may bear the fruit of that abiding relationship. Fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you opened your Bible? I'm speaking to myself here as well. When was the last time we opened our Bible? And we opened our Bible in worship. Not in duty. When was the last time you prayed, not in duty, but in worshipful adoration and praise of the Lord Jesus Christ? When was the last time you served at church? Not out of duty, but out of worship for the Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you read your Bible and remembered what you read? For more than five minutes, because it so struck your heart that it changed your entire day. These are challenging things. We mustn't be like the Pharisees. We mustn't miss the fact that we are Pharisees in many respects and that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees a lot in the Gospels and God is trying to show us something of ourselves as human beings through the Pharisees and through what they did. And then finally, we see, don't we, as the Pharisees say to Jesus, we aren't illegitimate children, what they're actually saying to Jesus in the Greek they're kind of bouncing it back and saying we aren't illegitimate children they're pointing at jesus and they're saying that he is illegitimate of course we covered this in the first study of john chapter 8 and we realized didn't we that in fact mary jesus mother had been accused of adultery we know that he was born of a virgin we know that mary was a virgin we see this in matthew chapter 1 and we see that it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14, where there is a specific prophecy that a virgin will conceive. So we know that Mary did not commit adultery. But Mary was accused of adultery. And ultimately, Jesus saw the pain that had caused Mary and had seen the implications that had had. So the Pharisees were trying to undermine Jesus as well in verse 41 to 42 by saying, We are until the judgment children, point finger. They were saying You are illegitimate, Jesus and therefore you don't have any authority to speak to us, the Pharisees. You see, the fact that Jesus was sent by the father, the fact that he had a supernatural miracle that led to his birth, the fact that he was fully man and fully God, the fact that he was the one that brought freedom to the captives, the captives of sin, indeed ourselves as captives of sin, uh, past tense, if we are believers in Christ means that jesus christ and us are in a family jesus is the son of god and we are children of god you see jesus is our heavenly brother in that sense we are children of the father we get to call god the father our father and jesus is god's son we should love jesus we should honor jesus because we're in the same family we're in the family of God we're eternally born now because of what God has done you see what Jesus was saying in verse 42 was if God were your father you would love me because I have come from God and ultimately Jesus is making a familial statement here if you're of my father you're going to love me because I'm also of my father and that is what Jesus is trying to show us Verses 43 to 45 um, in the New King James Version, because the translation in this particular area is a bit better. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Here we are, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He's just told the Pharisees that if you were a child of God, you would love the father. Like, um, because he had come from the father and therefore there's this familial relationship. And then he unleashes this truth bomb. And those, verses 4, 3 to 45 are very interesting. Because if you look at the structure of verses 43 to 45, you see a pattern. Verse 43 says that Jesus spoke and the Pharisees were not able to listen. Verse 44 says that Jesus spoke something about the Pharisees' spiritual paternity, their identity and the reasons they were behaving in the way they were. And then verse 45 says again, Jesus speaks and the Pharisees do not believe. Jesus is speaking in every verse. But in verse 43, they weren't listening. In verse 44, Jesus taught them who they were and what was going on. And then in verse 45, he taught them they would not listen. And this is something called a chiasm, where you have a structure that mirrors itself. And in the middle of that mirror, in the middle of that structure is the emphasis. So in verse 44, I believe here we have an emphasis on why the Pharisees were not able to believe are not able to listen. So why is verse 44 so important? Let's read it again. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you ought to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the father of it. You see, Jesus is starting to explain here more and more truths about the Pharisees' spiritual Paternity. He explains why the Pharisees are indeed doing what they're doing, and he explains why what they're doing is evil and ultimately where that evil is coming from. You see, the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead, and of course, the devil wanted Jesus dead and indeed is called a murderer from the beginning. The Pharisees' desire to have Jesus killed was reflecting the devil's desire to have Jesus killed, not on a cross but through any other means, because if he wasn't dead on a cross, didn't die on a cross, then prophecy would not have been fulfilled and our atonement would not have been secure. The Pharisees undermine God's authority or Jesus' authority to teach the word of God because the devil didn't want Jesus to teach the word of God with authority. Indeed, the devil does not stand in the truth, as that passage says, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is the liar and the father of it. You see, the desire of the Pharisees to undermine Jesus, to teach things that were false about Jesus, came from the devil's desire to subvert the Lord Jesus Christ, to stop people believing in his saving message. You see, ultimately, what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees are not hearing him are not believing him because they've fallen for falsehood. They've fallen for error that comes from the devil about who he is and about what he came to do. And of course, there are multiple false teachings and multiple false doctrines out there outside and indeed inside the church that say bad things, that say false things about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who the Holy Spirit is, about the Trinity, about creation, about who the real prophets were, who the authoritative prophets were, about the end times, about what is happening right now in the world, about what is going to happen after we die, and indeed about the devil himself. The list could go on. And the source of these false teachings, as we see, is ultimately the devil himself because if you believe something false about jesus you're less likely to believe the truth about jesus and you cannot hear what jesus has to say because you've already believed something that's false about him the devil would love nothing more than for unbelievers to remain unbelievers to rem- for lost people to remain lost for sinners to remain sinners that are not saved by grace And equally, he would love nothing more than for a believer who's been saved by grace to become ineffective in the work the Lord has called them to. Because then they can't go about their business as the Lord's people effectively witnessing and being a reflection of the light of Christ in their lives. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 11. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all around the world is going through the same kind of sufferings you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by the means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you. And uh, and he will place uh, you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. And then James 4, 7 to 8. So humble yourselves before God Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. How are we to resist this evening? This temptation to believe false things about God. This trap, this snare the devil may lay in our, in our lap. We are to resist in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name given among men why they must be saved. And there is no other name that is effective at resisting the devil other than Jesus Christ, because it is at his name that every knee will bow one day. Every knee will bow. We must remember, church, that we are in him, that we are one with Christ. And because we are positionally one with him, we are in him and we are able to use what he has given to us um, spiritually to resist the devil. To stand strong in our faith, as 1 Peter and James says. And this phrase, stand strong in your faith, uses the same Greek phrases as in Acts 3, where Peter heals the lame man. The lame man didn't just get up passively from being healed. He leapt for joy. He jumped for joy. He stood firmly. And Peter is telling us to stand firmly. To stand up firmly, to jump up, to resist the devil. Not in our own strength, but in Christ's strength. Not in our own resources, but in Christ's resources. Not in our own armour, but Christ's armour. To appropriate all that Christ has done for us and indeed is for us as believers in Jesus Christ. And to take hold of that and to resist to be certain of victory because christ is victorious ephesians six, ten to 18 gives us the armor of god that we need as we resist the devil a final word be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on all of god's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world "'against evil spirits in the heavenly places. "'Therefore put on every piece of God's armour "'so that you're able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. "'Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm.'" Same phrase. "'Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth "'and the body armour of God's righteousness. "'For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news "'so that you will be fully prepared. "'In addition to all these things, Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. What are we to take into our battle day by day? We're to take Jesus Christ and we are to take his armour. We're to put his armour on. We're not just to passively stand there. We're to actively put Jesus Christ on, to be in his security, to be in his. armor. Romans 13, 14. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Instead of listening to the negative stream of thoughts in your head, Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember that he was willing to pay the price for you, for your sin on the cross. And what that means, instead of worrying, instead of being beaten down with anxiety, pray. Pray in the spirit. Ask the Lord to lift your heart even in the midst of great despair. Instead of worrying about what people think of you when you Preach Jesus to them. Stand firm and be filled with the spirit and ask the Lord to help you share the gospel, to give you the word so that you may be an effective witness for him. And these are just a few examples. There are literally hundreds of ways that Jesus Christ can practically be your armour from this passage in Ephesians today. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the church is full of people who are listening to themselves, not preaching to themselves you see if we put it into practice daily the practice of preaching to ourselves God's word preaching to ourselves who we are in jesus preaching to ourselves and indeed rebuking those anxieties and those negative feelings that sometimes come upon us and saying they're not from the lord they are not what i need to believe they are discouraging me instead go to christ then we're fighting the good fight and of course There are many people who do suffer from genuine anxiety and genuine depression and they are medical conditions and you can get help for that. But sometimes there's spiritual attack as well. And we need to remember that and we need to stand in Christ and we need to stand firm in his word and pray for those things to pass. We need to remember that we are in Christ, that we are secure in him and that we when we go out to battle, spiritually speaking, that we're fighting in the power of Christ and not in ourselves. Verses 46 and 47. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Having reminded the Pharisees of these wondrous truths about uh, our potential spiritual paternity in the Father, if we are children of Abraham, and the fact that the Pharisees had not believed in Christ and therefore were not children of God. This explains why ultimately the Pharisees could not listen. They could not bother to listen because they ultimately were not of God. They did not listen gladly to God's word because they were not listening and believing God's word. They believed instead the lies of the enemy. They were not listening ultimately because they didn't want to they weren't able to because they believed the lies the false doctrines of the enemy and they were doing everything in their power to resist jesus at this point point. and indeed verses 48 to 50 show us this resistance verse 48 the people resorted you samaritan devil didn't we say all along that you possessed a demon what do the pharisees mean when they say you samaritan devil They mean exactly what they say. They say that Jesus is a Samaritan, first of all, and that he's also um, demon possessed. That's what they're suggesting. That's that? What they're accusing him of. And of course, Jesus was by no means of a Samaritan descent. They were trying to cast aspersions on his descendancy. They were trying to say he, he was illegitimate. Yet again, using different phraseology. But we know that Jesus is in the kingly line. He was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a descendant of David. And he is the king, the rightful king of Israel. We know the Samaritans were the the byproduct of the um, intermarriage between the Assyrians and the northern kingdom of Israel. And they had a different worship system, a different temple to be explored when we look at chapter four. And they were outcasts. The Pharisees did not like the fact that Jesus went to the Samaritans and he preached the gospel to them. And in John chapter four, they found when Jesus preached in Samaria, the entire of Samaria heard about Jesus and many, many people came to faith. They simply believed in Jesus, unlike the Pharisees who were refusing to believe in Jesus. You see, the Samaritans had shown the way to eternal life, had shown the way to be true children of Abraham. Whereas the Pharisees continued to resist such a call to believe in Jesus Christ. You see. What is really interesting. What is really timely. Is that when the Samaritans heard the truth of who Jesus was, they preached the word. They told others. And that is fascinating because when you see where the Samaritans came from, they had no ancestry that was anything to, to be um, praised. They lived in false doctrine. They lived in in sin. But Jesus took them and he used them. And he used them for his glory and he used them to be essentially obedient disciples, those that came to him. Isn't it just amazing what Jesus can do with our lives, what Jesus can do with a sinner, what Jesus can do with you and me who are sinners, who've made a mess of things, who continue to make a mess of things, he can use us for his purposes. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to obey what he calls us to do, you see, we're not to be like Jonah, who was told to go to Nineveh, but he went the other way. Jesus Christ was a true prophet. He was the true messenger of the Lord. He did not squander his opportunity to go to Samaria. He did not look down on the Samaritans and say, you guys just don't deserve to hear about the grace of God. He went there, he preached and he saw revival. The word of God, the living word of God had come to Samaria and the Samaritans believed. You see, the Pharisees had been calling Jesus names. They'd been digging, making aspersions at Christ because of Christ's inclusivity. Christ was preaching to all men everywhere. He wasn't limiting himself and his message to just the Jews. It was the Jews, Samaritans and the Gentiles. All could become children of Abraham. Jesus didn't run away from uncomfortable encounters, but the Pharisees were saying they were of Abraham. They were of God's prophets. They were of God's servants. But they refused to let the grace of God reach those who were not in the same tribe, in the same league as them, according to their teachings. And we see something similar, don't we, of self-righteousness, of pointing fingers at others. When Paul preaches to the Jews in Acts 22 in the temple, the, the Jews and the Pharisees have no problems with Paul's testimony, even of who Jesus Christ was and what he had done until Paul said that he preached to the Gentiles. Acts 2, 21 to 23. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away. To the Gentiles. There's loads of verses before. Where Paul is listened to by by the temple crowd. But then the crowd listened until Paul. Or unto Paul. Said the word. That they all began to shout. Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats. And tossed handfuls of dust into the air. The question tonight folks. Is are we following the Pharisees example. Of running away. From uncomfortable situations of, of, of opportunities, it might be difficult to share the gospel. Expecting God to work. Or uh, not expecting God to work, should I say. Or are we like Jesus? Going to those places of discomfort, going to those places where there is difficulty, but being faithful to share the word of God. Being faithful to share the love of Jesus and watching Jesus do the work in the midst. Are we saying the message of the gospel, by our own disobedience to share it, is just for me and for my own comfort? Or are we willing to go? Are we willing to preach to those who uh, we find difficult to speak to the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, are we saying that certain people don't deserve grace, or are we saying that everybody deserves, or everybody needs to hear the grace? of God in their lives. Everybody needs to hear the the gospel because it is for all people. It is not for certain groups of people. It is for all people. It is for all of the human race. The Pharisees were offended because Jesus Christ went to the Samaritans. The Pharisees were offended because Jesus Christ went to the people they didn't like and shared the good news of Jesus and the gospel with them. Are you offended tonight by God's amazing grace to all people? We need to repent if we are, and we need to ask the Lord to change our hearts so that we may be willing to preach, to live out the gospel and to tell others about Jesus, even if it's uncomfortable for us. And then finally, verses 49 and 50, briefly to finish. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in you, for I honour my father and you dishonour me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. Jesus puts to bed, very simply, the uh, the accusation that he is demon-possessed. And instead, says simply that he is honouring his father. And because you Pharisees honour me, you're not honouring the father. And ultimately, the father is going to be the true judge of what is going on here. God is going to glorify me, Jesus says. He is the true judge. And of course what does jesus mean when he says that he means ultimately that his father would judge his life on the earth that his father would witness his life his son's life on the earth and would affirm everything that christ had done and say yep jesus obeyed jesus was the perfect witness of who i came to be john 8 29 the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. Jesus was impeccable. Jesus was perfect in his ability to be a witness to his father. And it pleased the father to see Jesus' witness. See, Jesus was a spotless line of God. Jesus was the Messiah. And the father was pleased with him because he did what his father had asked him to And we need to take a leaf out of Jesus' book this evening, don't we? We need to be obedient to what the Lord is calling us to do, even if nobody else recognises that, even if nobody else appreciates that. And in the body of Christ together, we need to serve the Lord, even if nobody listens to the message, even if nobody comes To saving faith, because first and foremost, we must obey God and not man. Like Jeremiah, where there was no documented um, conversions or repentance in his ministry. He served the Lord many years, even though nobody came to the Lord and repented. Tonight is our chance to preach the gospel, to be a witness to our neighbours, to be a witness to those we find difficult to speak to even to be a witness to those who are our enemies. We need to be faithful witnesses. We need to go to those that are not comfortable to speak to. And we need to love them and we need to show grace to them. And we need to pray the Lord gives us the boldness to share Jesus with them because they are sinners like you and me. We're all sinners and we all need the grace of the Lord. In our lives, we all need the grace of God to be shown to us. I pray tonight that we would take on board what Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 says, because that's our mission statement for the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this evening. Thank you that it has been so, so amazing to see what you have to say to us tonight. And Father, I just pray that each and every one of us, as we um, listened and as we read, Lord, would have our hearts changed to be willing to do your will. That Lord Jesus, that my own heart and that the people listening, would be able to respond and that Lord Jesus, we would be willing to talk to those who we find difficult to talk to and to share Jesus. That we would not be like Jonah and run away, but Lord, we would be like Jesus, our saviour. And that we would go and that we would watch God do mighty works. Because he is worthy. Help us just to be that mouthpiece, Lord, that mouthpiece. Help us to be willing to be a mouthpiece and let the Lord use us for his glory help us lord tonight help us lord as we continue to pray for the war to be faithful to pray every day to be faithful in those simple tasks of reaching out to those who are hurting and father i pray tonight that you would make us faithful disciples faithful witnesses and that lord we would be faithful intercessors in this current uh, situation in ukraine help us lord tonight in jesus name amen God bless you guys. Have a great night. Take care. Bye bye.